Please pray with me. Holy Father, you are the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps your covenant of loving kindness. Instruct our hearts on the beauty of your jealous love for your people. Help our minds to grasp the wonder of that love. Give me, your servant, spirit-empowered words to powerfully proclaim the depth and the zeal of your great love. This I pray in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. How well do you love God and others? Do you love God with a steadfast, loyal love? And do you love those God, God commands you to love just as he loves you? In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus gives his church a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another. That command is repeated three times. That means pay attention. It is important. In Jesus' day, a disciple diligently obeyed his rabbi's teaching and followed his rabbi's example. Today, Jesus is a believer's rabbi or teacher. In God's word, his instruction and example is preserved for us to obey and to imitate him. Our rabbi appears in Zechariah's visions as the angel of the Lord. He comes to express his steadfast love for his covenant people, and that love is a jealous love. Unlike human jealousy, Micah Fries says that God's jealousy flows out of his great love for his redeemed ones. God's jealousy is his passionate commitment to that which rightfully belongs to him, whether it is his glory that cannot be shared with another, his right to be worshipped as the one true God, or the affections and devotion of his people. God's holy jealousy springs from his great love and unfaltering desire to have an exclusive relationship with those he has delivered and redeemed as his own. With jealous love, God called his people to return to him in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. The rest of Ze Zechariah chapter 1 through chapter 2 expands on this message through three symbolism-filled visions which give the Israelites and us every reason to love God and love one another. He speaks truths designed to draw us back to himself. So the most important truth to learn is that God loves his people with a jealous love. That is the aim of our three divisions, the horsemen, the horns, and the holy ones. So our first division is the horsemen, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Open your Bibles and follow along with me. This passage records the first of eight visions given to the prophet Zechariah during one restless night. Before diving into Zechariah's visions, it is profitable to understand a few truths about visions in the Bible. Visions were not uncommon for Old Testament prophets, 
and are closely associated with what is known as apocalyptic literature. Uh, theologian Richard Phillips clarifies for us. He says that this genre of literature uses strange, even bizarre imagery to present heaven's perspective of earthly events and reveal the sovereignty of God to an oppressed people. The prophetic word calls a sinful people to repentance. Apocalyptic visions call a downtrodden people to hope and belief. God sent his prophetic word to afflict the comfortable, but he gave visions of hope to comfort the afflicted. Does God still use visions to communicate to us? He can, and he sometimes does. He is sovereign. He can do whatever he pleases. There are accounts of people in places with no access to Bibles seeing visions However, the primary way God communicates to us is through his word. We read of visions received by the prophets in a grander, greater context when we read and study God's word. In verse 7, Zechariah pinpoints the time the word of the Lord came to him, the 24th day of the 11th month. Zechariah's first vision, like many prophecies in the Bible, is filled with hard-to-interpret symbols. In verse 8, Zechariah says, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Imagery containing horsemen were, was familiar to Old Testament readers because it was an image often used to display the legions of angels in God's heavenly army. Horsemen also represented wealth and power. In Zechariah's vision, the horseman standing in front of the other horses is clearly the leader of these horsemen. The, the myrtle trees are evergreen shrubs which grow well in Israel. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites used branches from the myrtle trees to make their booths. So scholars believe that the myrtle trees represent the covenant community of God's people. The myrtle trees are in the glen or a valley. This symbolized Israel's low point or her deep humiliation in exile. Even worse, they had no temple, no place for God's glory to live among his people. The horses are the next symbols in Zechariah's vision. Opinions vary on the meaning of the color of the horses. In the Bible, red often symbolizes war, white often symbolizes peace, and so the sorrel or the mixed color could symbolize a time of tension between the times of war and peace. The colors might also reveal the military organization of the angel armies. In verses 9 through 10, Zechariah asks, What are these, my Lord? The angel responds by saying, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. While the interpreting angel allows the man standing among the myrtle trees to answer, he does not identify him until verse 11. He is the angel of the Lord. 
Notice that the title Lord is capo in capital letters. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the second person of the Godhead. As such, he has always existed along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In Old Testament times, he would appear to his people in the form of an angel. Jesus, the angel of the Lord, said the horsemen were sent by the Lord to patrol the earth. This reveals that God is not only omnipotent, he is omniscient and omnipresent. When we see all three omnis of God together, the combined effect declares his absolute sovereignty and empowers his loving care. Our omni-God possesses absolute sovereignty over the entire earth as well as heaven's angel armies. He is the sovereign, omnipotent Lord of hosts, and his prophecies are more than mere predictions. The certainty of their fulfillment is based on his unique sovereign power over all things, including time and history. He alone has the right, the authority, and the power to make and keep all his promises. He alone commands the angel armies. He is the one who sent the angelic horsemen to patrol the earth. In verse 11, they return with a report. We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Ah, oh, rest. World peace. To you and me, that sounds like a terrific report. But verse 12 indicates that this is not the case. The angel of the Lord responds by interceding in prayer, crying out, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years? The 70 years refers to the length of God's judgment against his people. God promised their exile would last for 70 years. So for 70 years, God's mercy was not evident in his holy city, Jerusalem, nor could it be seen by the people of Judah. There was no rest for them in captivity, and there was no rest now for the returnees to Jerusalem. Those at rest were the idolatrous, God-rejecting nations with their worldly, rebellious kings. This was not a comfort to the Israelites. It appeared that their no-mercy years were lasting beyond 70 years. The angel of the Lord intercedes, asking, How long would there be no mercy? In verses 13 through 15, the Lord answered with gracious and comforting words. Then he expressed his jealous love for his people. He says, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Indeed, 70 no-mercy years were over. The Lord of hosts urged his covenant people to cry out to him in prayer. He was exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. 
God loves his people with a jealous love. And that jealous love caused him to be exceedingly angry with the nations the angels found at rest. They had furthered disaster. God had used these pagan nations to judge his people for their sins. But they had taken it too far. They had cruelly used and abused God's people, his treasured possession. When God said he was exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, it revealed the zealousness and the depth of his love for his covenant people. His jealous love moved him to action against the enemies of his people. They would be the objects of his poured out wrath. We will see that in, our, in the second vision. For now, God shifts Zechariah's attention to his mercy toward his people. God expresses his jealous love through mercy in verses 16 through 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. With mercy, God would return to his holy city and his house would be built there. Mercy means that we do not get what we deserve. We all deserve God's wrath. The Israelites deserved God's wrath. But God's jealous love compelled him to extend mercy. In mercy, God would restore his holy city and restore his holy people once again. The measuring line stretched out over Jerusalem speaks of building and expansion. God promised his glory would return to his people and prosper them. In verse 17, the word again is used four times. This speaks of God's return to his people and his people's return to him. The first again is God's call for his people to cry out again. He wanted his people to cry out to him in fervent prayer. He longed to respond to their prayer with his perfect provision. The Lord of hosts also says his cities would once again overflow with prosperity. That was music in the ears of discouraged returnees. There would again be an abundance in the land that once flowed with milk and honey. Not only would Jerusalem grow and be fruitful, so would the cities all around Jerusalem. For believers today, this points to the spiritual prosperity found in Christ. Verse 17 continues by saying the Lord would again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. His comfort is the assurance of his favor and his love for his people. God loves his people with a jealous love. This is why his comfort is linked to his choosing or sovereign election of Jerusalem. That God must again choose Jerusalem must not be interpreted to mean believers can lose their salvation. In the Bible, 
the doctrine of election teaches that God's eternal decree regarding our salvation is secure. It cannot be changed or altered in any way. Instead, Richard Phillips says that this means that God will again manifest the benefits of their election, which had been hidden during the season of their chastisement. God assures the Jews that they were not forsaken. He was waiting for them on the other side with open arms to choose them again. God's presence would again be tangibly with his people. Their intimate relationship with him would be restored and he would again express his jealous love for his people with his comforting presence. He does this for all believers. Our first truth is that God's jealous love is expressed in his comforting presence with his people. How closely are you walking with God right now? Close enough to rest assured of his jealous love, presence, and comfort? If not, maybe you have wandered away from God and into sin. Scripture teaches that God hides his face from us when we choose to wallow in our sins. This is true even for his elect and beloved children. Refusing to repent of willful sin results in the loss of an intimate knowledge of his comforting presence. The good news is that God is waiting for you to repent. When you do, he will receive you with open arms and the blessed assurance of his presence with you. God's jealous love is expressed in his comforting presence with his people. And his comforting presence is especially precious when we face our enemies. Zechariah's second vision addresses these enemies in our second division. The horns, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Verses 18 and 19. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. An animal's horns represent its power. In scripture, horns are a symbol for earthly power. They represent political or military strength. Therefore, they are also used to symbolize nations or kingdoms. The horns Zechariah saw represented the powerful nations God had used to scatter his people into exile. The identity of these nations is more open to interpretation. Some scholars believe the four horns represent the world empires like Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, and Rome. Still others believe the four horns represent the north, south, east, and west, signifying that the assault on Israel came from every direction. In any case, the four horns reveal the total domination of God's people by conquering earthly powers. But God's jealous love for his people could not let that stand. 
he would remain true to his promise to restore his people after 70 years. He loves his people with a jealous love. That love compels him to take action. In verses 20 through 21, he showed Zechariah his instruments of justice for craftsmen. Zechariah asked, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. The Hebrew word used for craftsmen describes artisans skilled at woodworking, stonework, or metalwork. However, the emphasis is on the power of their tools and their skill to tear down and destroy. God is able to destroy every enemy that comes against his people. For you and me, the message is clear. God is able to defeat any and every enemy of our salvation. His jealous love for us cannot be weakened or removed. In fact, the intensity of God's anger at threats to his relationship with his people is directly proportionate to the depths of his jealous love. Note, Zechariah does not ask who the craftsmen are. We are left without interpretation. Zechariah simply asked what they came to do. The interpreting angel told him that the craftsmen would terrify and cut off the four horns. In other words, God's justice would prevail. He would use the craftsmen to dismantle the powerful nations who had attacked and conquered his people. In this vision, God promises to avenge his people. This gives us our second truth. God's jealous love is expressed when he executes his justice on our enemies. In which area of your life are you longing for justice? How do you handle the unfairness or the injustices you encounter? In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, the Apostle Paul urges us, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you trust God to do that? If you and I truly grasp the magnitude of God's jealous love for us, we will wait on his perfect justice when we are wrong. His jealous love passionately protects his intimate relationship with his people and avenges it when it is harmed. He promises to terrify and cast down every enemy we face. We see proof of this at the cross where he terrified and cast down our fiercest enemy, Satan. Jesus Christ utterly defeated him as well as the power of sin and death on the cross. His resurrection on the third day proved his absolute triumph over the enemy of our souls. Hallelujah. 
God's jealous love is expressed when he executes justice on our enemies. To expand on this truth, in Zechariah's third vision, we see Jesus, the Holy One, as our defender. Our third division is the Holy One, Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Verse 1, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. This is the second time we see a measuring line in this passage. In verse 2, Zechariah asked the man, who is likely one of God's angelic messengers, where he was going with the measuring line. He responds, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. The measurer was like an architect or a builder, surveying the area of his next construction project. God was preparing to rebuild his temple and restore his holy city. In verses 3 through 5, another angel speaks to Zechariah's interpreting angel and says, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Zechariah is the young man. The second angel wanted him to understand the magnitude of Jerusalem's restoration. It would be so magnificent. The walls would need to be removed to accommodate all the people and their livestock. This was a shocking revelation. During the time of Nehemiah, Jerusalem was in such a state of devastation that no one wanted to live there. The wall around the holy city was in disrepair and provided no security. So the people lived in the surrounding cities. Now, no wall was needed because God himself would be Jerusalem's defender. He would protect his people by becoming a wall of fire around them and moving his glory into their midst. This prophecy was partially fulfilled at Christ's first coming and the Holy Spirit's arrival at Pentecost. It will be fully fulfilled at Christ's second coming. God loves his people with a jealous love, a love that moves him to keep his beloved people wrapped up in his tender care and powerful protection. The vision of Jerusalem's restoration leads to an urgent message from the Lord to his people. In verses 6 through 7, the Lord declares, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. The message to the remaining evacuees was return to Jerusalem. Flee Babylon before it's too late. Verses 8 through 9 reveal the Lord of hosts was about to pour out his wrath on that nation. His beloved people needed to get out of the way. The Lord of hosts is Israel's defender. 
the nations who plundered his people, touched the apple of his eye. In verse 9, he says, Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The word plunder means to take by force. God is omnipotent, sovereign, with a mere shaking of his hand. His justice would rain down and flatten the mighty nations who had plundered his people. Then in verses 10 through 11, the Lord declares, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Highlight the I wills of God in these verses, because the message is glorious. Twice the Lord declares, I will dwell in your midst. Could it get any better than God himself living in their midst? Yes, Israel would not be the only nation there. Many other nations, Gentile nations, would join themselves to the Lord and be his people. This fulfills God's purpose for Israel and points to the church with a capital C. The church is the company of the Lord's redeemed elect. Ultimately, his entire church, Christ's beloved bride, will dwell in heaven with the Lord God Almighty, enthroned and exalted in her midst. That truth should make our hearts explode with joy. Verse 12 reinforces the truth of God's jealous love for his people. It says the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion and will again choose Jerusalem. This was good news for the returnees. Their God is a returning God. And for the evacuees, what better incentive to return to Jerusalem? Their covenant God would be there in all his glory. Not only would he be present, he would act to protect his people. Verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. In a word, hush. God's people must be still and rest in God's protection. God's enemies will one day cower in abject terror. When God rouses himself from his holy dwelling, he is about to act. The godless nations of the world would experience his divine wrath and there would be no escape for them. Our only proper response is to hush in awe-filled wonder and silent submission to him. As we face our enemies, we can trust him as our defender. Because of his jealous love, he will protect you and me. We are the apple of his eye. This gives us our third truth. God's jealous love is expressed in his powerful protection of the apple of his eye. How sure are you that you are loved by God with a jealous 
love? What is keeping you from wholeheartedly believing that is true? What is keeping you from resting in his powerful protection? God loves you with a jealous love. At times, that fact may not line up with your feelings or circumstances, but it is a fact. You, if you are one of his redeemed, that is a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are the apple of his eye. The Hebrew word for apple literally means little man or the small reflection of yourself seen when you look into someone else's eye. In Latin, the word is pupilla, which means tiny doll. Little man, tiny doll. That's you and me. We're the pupil or the apple of God's eye. And since the pupil is the most vulnerable part of the eye, we need his powerful protection. Thank God that his jealous love for you places you under his powerful, protective care. Believe that. Hush. Rest in his sovereign might. God's jealous love is expressed in his powerful protection of the apple of his eye. How well do you love God and others? Is it with a love like God's jealous love? Are you touching or defending the apples of his eye? God commands us that just as he has loved us, we are to love one another. And God loves his people with a jealous love. Practically, what does it look like to love in the same way. Theologian Sam Storms describes God's jealous love as a love that is the incessant, intensely persistent burning in the heart of the infinitely powerful, uncreated God who will brook no rivals in his relationship with his people. Storms goes on to say that if God is going to love you, he must give you the best, most beautiful, and most satisfying thing in all the universe. He must freely give you the greatest treasure, the most exquisite prize, the most enduring and enjoyable thing in all the universe, himself. God must then work in your heart so that you experience him as the preeminent treasure that he is. He must awaken in your soul satisfaction in himself. He must open your eyes to his beauty and lead you to taste and savor the sweetness of knowing him and loving him and enjoying him. What wondrous love is this? It is a jealous love that demands the devoted, wholehearted, loyal love of his bride. He cannot and will not tolerate unfaithfulness by his people. And he cannot and will not tolerate harm done to his bride. He loves you with a jealous love. Do you love him and his people with that kind of love? Starting today, what will you do differently to love and cherish God and his holy bride?
Please pray with me. You alone are holy, O God. All nations will come and worship you. Yet you keep us as the apple of your eye. You hide us under the shadow of your wing. Thank you, loving Father, for your jealous love, which comforts us, vindicates us, and protects us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to stand in holy wonder at your holy presence and respond with heartfelt love for you and all your people. This we ask in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.